the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a, pl- a, a privilege and a pleasure. Today is Thursday, August the 20th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on August 20, 1964, President Lyndon Johnson, he signed the Economic Opportunity Act. It was a billion dollars. billion dollars was more then than it is now. It was an anti-poverty measure. But by most accounts, that Economic Opportunity Act and the billion dollars launched one of the greatest welfare programs in America, and it continues today. It has ruined more families than it has helped by putting them on into a dependent role, dependent on the government. Today in 1862, the New York Tribune published an open letter written by Horace Greeley. He was the editor. He wrote he wrote the letter to President Abraham Lincoln. He said, you've got to take more aggressive measures to free the slaves and end the South's rebellion. Well, Lincoln indeed did that. I think it was well underway in Lincoln's mind before Horace Greeley wrote his letter. Today, 1920, pioneering American radio station, one of the big radio stations, one of the leaders in America. It was called 8MK in Detroit when it came on the air. It later became known as WWJ. But it began daily broadcasting today, 1920. Other radio stations followed, followed their format, followed their kind of their game plan. And that sort of birthed radio in America as we know it. Today, 1940, exiled communist Revolutionary Leon Trotsky, he was assassinated in Mexico by a Spanish communist agent. He was working for Joseph Stalin. Trotsky died the next day. Today, in 1953, the Soviet Union publicly uh, acknowledged that it had tested a hydrogen bomb. Today, in 1989, entertainment executive Jose Mendez and his wife Kitty, they were shot to death in their Beverly Hills mansion by their sons. Lyle and Eric. Today in 2017, he was an actor, he was a comedian, he was a longtime telethon host, Jerry Lewis. He died today in 2017 of heart disease. He was living in Las Vegas at the time. He was 91 years old. 91 years old. The prophet Nahum wrote to the people of God, The Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. Nahum 1.7 Paul wrote to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He said, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. How do you achieve all that in a confused world, a chaotic world like we live in today. It's easy. It's easy. It's so simple that many people stumble over it. We simply turn our eyes 
on the Lord, on Jesus. And we put everything in perspective. God is in control. Nothing is going to happen that he doesn't know about or allow. I'm not saying he's making things happen, but he's allowing certain things. God is in control. He's in control of your life. He's in control of this country. He's in control of everything that happens in the course of human events. I'll tell you one thing. Hillary Clinton can't let go of the past. That old lady is locked in the past. She can't help herself. She got on television last night. Her husband, Bill, he gave his, Bill Clinton, former president, he gave his speech the other night. I think it was night before last. And it was it was taped. And I understand they wanted to edit out all the, the rough parts, and there probably were a lot of them. They're doing that now, even in Joe Biden's just passing comments. They're editing them. Nothing, hardly anything anymore with Joe Biden is live. But Hillary wanted to be live. And as I am right now, originating at 9 a.m. on ACN, she wanted to be live because she just wanted to be in the moment. I understand that. Live broadcasting has a unique quality. I've learned that over the years. In our radio ministry and the years on television, I get that. But she was broadcasting from her home in upstate New York, streaming live. She talked about herself more than she talked about Joe Biden. She just can't get past the fact. She kind of attempted to hit a note of hope and excitement, but sadly her bitterness kind of over her loss four years ago at kind of unmask her hatred again for President Trump and and her grasping, her adherence to this heavily debunked narrative of Russian collusion with the president. It got the best of her. She just gave into it. Her whole speech was about her and how she felt and why she lost. She urged viewers not to forget to vote, reminding them that she lost by a close margin. Actually, she says, the Constitutional Electoral College and rode the wave of popular but ignorant talking point fact. In fact, she said, won the election by popular vote. She said, I won the election by three million votes. But the Constitution got in her way. Joe and Kamala, she said, they can win by three million votes and still lose. Take it from me. So we need numbers that are overwhelming in this election. She said, although she she has nothing but contempt for Trump during the election cycle, she the same has said that, in 2016, she said she had hoped that he would govern in a way that I would have approved. She actually said that, that he would have governed in a way that I would have approved as though She's the final authority on this. It, it tells you so much about what these people believe when you see them get up there and start talking, and particularly when it's live and cannot be edited after the fact when somebody says, you know, Hillary, you shouldn't have said that. That sounds a little like you're focused more on yourself than on the candidate or whatever. But sadly, she said, he failed to meet that mark. He didn't live up to her expectation. Again, she insisted that a big Democratic turnout at the polls was key to Biden-Harris success. And then she went back to her main narrative. It's really what she has become. 
the woman that lost. She said it was stolen with the assistance of a foreign adversary. She says Trump would sneak or steal, those are her words, the election away from the rightful winners. I'll tell you, even her friends in the media, even NBC News, were kind of shaking their head and going, <laughs> boy, Hillary is marching on through all of her difficult. Well, she's not marching on. She's lost in the past. And that can happen to any of us. All of us have had disappointments, perhaps not as public as her loss of her inevitable becoming inevitably becoming the first woman president. She said four years ago, she said, oh, for four years, she said last night, late. She said, for four years, people have said to me, I didn't realize how dangerous he was. I wish I could go back and do it over. Or worse, I should have voted, Hillary. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, boy, oh boy. That's the story of Hillary Clinton. Barack Obama, he was intense. And boy, he was vicious. He went after the president last night in no uncertain terms. More than anyone has seen him before. But it was a lot about him as well. But it was also about the imperfection of America. In fact, he, he, went, he went to the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia, where our Constitution was written, framed, and finished by our founders. He went right to the spot. It was kind of a kind of a way, I guess, in his mind and his people that help him of kind of showing that our democracy is at stake. And that's kind of the theme of what he said last night. If you heard it, you'll know. And if you didn't, I'm going to be very brief on this. But he urged voters to consider the stakes in this election because he said what we do will echo through the generations to come. Obama said the document is imperfect. He's always got to point out the imperfections. He stood where the Constitution was written, and he said it's imperfect. Well, Mr. Obama, everything is imperfect, including you. Everybody has sinned and come short of the glory of God, and there is no perfect document except the Bible itself. He should read his Bible that he touts that he believes, but yet lives as though he doesn't in his policies, as Joe Biden does, and Kamala Harris, and Hillary, and all the rest of the progressive left. But he always has to point out the imperfections of our Constitution, of our nation. When he became president, he toured the world, and you, I know you know this because many, most of you listening are informed. He toured the world and apologized for America, of all things. But there he went again last night, same thing. He pointed out that the Constitution is imperfect. However, he said, it includes a North Star that would lead future generations. And he said it has. What he's referring to there, I believe, is this whole idea that the Constitution is a living document and it doesn't really mean what it says. It meant what it said when those guys way back there in 1787 wrote it. But it doesn't mean that now because times have changed. That is the classic. That is the John 3.16 of the progressive movement. 
And that's what he was referring to when he refers to a North Star or kind of a guiding. Here's what the Constitution says, that this is what it really means. And we are the ones that can interpret it, just like the false prophets and the false seers that you find in the threads of stories through the Old Testament. That's why Daniel had an audience, because all these other so-called prophets couldn't figure out what the dream was. That's what that's what the left today essentially is doing. They're saying, well, the doc, the Constitution, our documents, our founding documents, our principles, they don't mean that. I mean, they were for another time. Now this is a new time. We've evolved. We've progressed. And now we have to be in control so that we can explain to you other people who are locked into old codes and understandings and principles, as Hillary said about abortion and other principles, biblical principles. So that's what he was referring to last night, although he didn't get too deep into that. But he made the point. He said, I did hope for the sake of the country that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously, that he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But Obama paused, a long pause, looking right into the camera, and he said, but he never did. Then the camera drew closer to him. I watched these things. The camera pulled in in a, in a tighter shot right on his face. And he said, referring to President Trump, he has shown no interest in putting in the work. He has no interest in finding common ground. What he's saying is he has refused to compromise on certain principles. He has refused to compromise on abortion. He's refused to compromise on the LGBTQ agenda and all this stuff that Trump has, has taken a stand on. That's what he was talking about. He made it sound as though hundreds of thousands of COVID-related deaths in the U.S. and the millions of lost jobs were also the direct fall of President Trump. It was It's Trump's COVID-19. He said... He said that's because throughout the pandemic, Trump has made stuff up instead of listening to science. I don't I don't know about listening to science. I'm kind of sick and tired of Fauci and Bricks on there every day. I mean, I love, they're nice people. But good grief, you talk about listening to science. That's all he's done. Sometimes I've wondered if he was listening too much to so-called science, but that's another issue. From where Obama was standing... He said, it seems like Trump is using the White House as one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. Donald Trump, quoting Barack Obama, Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. That was the message. His speech sounded pretty similar to the one that his wife Michelle gave the night before. They're always down, they're dark. Because they really don't have hope. They claim to be Christian. They claim some biblical adherence, but they don't really practice it. I'm not judging. I'm observing. As a pastor, I've seen this again and again and again, but this is at the highest level of influence in our country. I'll tell you. Same speech, same darkness, same. It's a hopeless kind of a message. He said Trump is in over his head. 
and as his wife had said the night before, he too had hoped for better. So that's the message that's going out there to people who are not not informed, to be honest with you. They're just watching the three networks that they get on their television. They get have the basic cable or whatever. And these people hear this night after night, and the local people in their less than you know professional way sometimes, they echo this. Every night, this same message finds its way. Well, there's the peaceful protests that are burning down buildings and cities. It doesn't matter what it is. The message always comes out the same. It's a hopeless message, a message of despair, a message that tells people they should be troubled on every side. They should be perplexed. They should be in despair. But we have an answer. And this time it's Joe Biden. He is the answer to all of your emotions. They are not addressing any policies in this sleep-through thing called their viral convention. They're not. They just simply aren't because, they number one, they're not really committed to anything other than Bernie Sanders' agenda. And I will tell you, if Joe Biden wins, you have just elected Kamala Harris as the next president of the United States. And Bernie Sanders will be pulling the strings of her and Joe as long as he's around. This whole thing is not going to be about Joe Biden. He's going to sit there and smile, and they're going to let him say a few words on tape, and then they'll uh, uh, and they'll edit it and so on and prepare it to be released to the press. I mean, it's that bad. And so that's where we are today. And so when these people say these things, these people are running for the presidency. They're running for the power. The power may be, you know, put on the lapel of, Joe Biden, and he can walk around with that silly grin on his face and say, yeah, I became the president of the United States, and I used to ride the train to work every day. And I don't mean to be disrespectful. I really don't. But I'm speaking from a, from a heart that is deeply concerned about this nation, a nation that God has blessed, God raised up. I believe in exceptionalism. I believe this nation is unlike any other nation. All other nations were founded either through war and disputes over boundary lines or old bloodlines. Every country in the world exists from those two root reasons, except America. And America was founded on an ideal, an ideal that was biblical. We didn't come here to make money. We came here for religious freedom. Yes, they came to make money. There wasn't economic opportunity here. But that isn't wrong. Jesus taught economic opportunity the parable of the talents. So that wasn't a wrong motive, but that's not the primary motive, as the secularists like to say, and the progressives. It was We did not come here for those reasons. We came here because of our thirst, our, our, our passion for religious freedom. It had been stifled, much like the left is trying to do in America today, by the king of England. And we came here and our founders said they're putting everything on the line, our, our fortunes, our families, our hopes, our, you know, our reputations, everything on the line. They did for freedom. That's why America is exceptional. I believe that there was a destiny for America in the mind of God because God is in control. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. God circumscribes time. We're limited to time. Everything to us is how many years and 
we were born here and we die there and so on. I mean, that's the way it works. God designed it that way, but God isn't subject to those limitations. God is above, beyond, and around all of that. So God circumscribes time. He is before time and he is after time. When time shall be no more, God still exists. And God's in control. And in that context, I believe that God raised up this nation for purposes, some of which we've seen completed. Some, I hope, we have not yet seen completed. Ultimately, we will spend eternity, if we know Jesus Christ personally, we will spend eternity with the Lord. But in this season of our life, we are called to accountability. To whom much is given, much is required. And that's where we are today. Today. In this country. And we need to be informed. But for those who are less informed, and they don't really know what's going on, boy, I'll tell you, they're getting a very, very dark, dismal, distressed, troubled, perplexed, message that it's all Donald Donald Trump's fault of course but it I mean people are suffering under this under this load and I will tell you that Paul was not only speaking to the Corinthians he was speaking to you and to me troubled on every side yet not distressed perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. That's a bit of what happened overnight, if you didn't see it. At least it's my take on it. I wrote an article today that I want, really want people to be aware of, and a lot of people read it. It goes out to thousands of people. But I would encourage you to take a look at it. I'll talk, excuse me, I'll talk about it for just a couple of minutes here this morning. There's an issue, China, on, on the front with China, there's a lot of issues. But China is now positioned itself in a second uh, role, a second way or attack on our classrooms here in America. And I know a lot of schools aren't starting, but they're virtual classrooms. And this also penetrates the Internet. Let me briefly tell you about it. But may I encourage you to just take a look at this because it's important to know this because I've got the facts here and they're well sourced and well documented. But China is controlling our U.S. classrooms in two ways. One I wrote about a couple of years ago. I wrote several articles on it and, of course, others did, too. But I, I wrote about the Confucius Institutes that they are putting all over the country, including in schools in Washington state and, and most all states. But there's a secondary attack through the educational system that's very unique. And once you are aware of it, it seems simple to understand. But if you're not aware of it, you just couldn't know because it's kind of invisible, really, the way it operates, except to the educators. But professors at U.S. universities say they're going to start using code names and warning labels to protect students. Why? Because of China's intrusion into those classrooms. And you're saying that can't be. Well, the Wall Street Journal wrote an article about this yesterday, a lengthy article. It was well-researched, and there were a lot of, lot of source material in it. And I used that as a basis to write my own opinion and to write about this incident. So I would encourage you to go to faithandfreedom.us. When you go to that website, faithandfreedom.us, First thing you'll see come up on your screen is my article today, 
how China is controlling U.S. classrooms. And um, I would encourage you to take it. It's about a four-minute read. I would encourage you to go through it and take a look at it because it'll be very, very encouraging, I think, to know, and it's certainly informative. And while you're there, you can click the Donate button on our website, and you can donate online. You can also write a check. We need your support. We need it very much. We never take a lot of time on this program to encourage people to support it. There are some programs, unfortunately some ministries, who spend most of their time raising money so they can come back and raise more money. And I don't say that critically. I understand the pressures. Believe me, I do. But I made a decision when this program started back in 2013, I think it was, live daily on ACN. I made a decision and I felt like it was made in the presence of the Lord. I was really praying about this. I, I said, I will never give a majority of the time on this program to raising funds. If God doesn't speak to the hearts of people and if the hearts of people don't respond, then I'll know that I'm done and we'll just move on because I know that God is able to supply all of our needs. And I know that God will speak to hearts. And I know that many of you, most of you, are sensitive to the Lord. And so that is kind of our fundraising um, strategy. We simply tell you we need your help and ask you to just be prayerful about it. And God will speak to your heart and you'll know what to do. So thank you so much in advance. And to all of you who support this ministry regularly, monthly, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And I would encourage those of you who don't to prayerfully, prayerfully consider if you should, and if so, how you should. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Wall Street Journal was warning America. At Princeton University, students in a Chinese politics class will use codes instead of names on their work to protect their identities. What has happened briefly, and again, I, I would encourage you to read this. You, you need to know about this. But um, what they're doing, in addition to establishing these Confucius Institutes and giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to institutions, our public education institutions, but what they're doing now, they've created a law and the law reaches beyond China to Chinese students who are here in America. And there are a lot of them. There are about 370,000 Chinese students. So if there's one in every classroom, I mean, you can do the math. There's about 7,000 students from Hong Kong. And all of these Hong Kong and Chinese students are subject to Chinese law. So what they're doing, China, is they're, they're finding ways to look into the classroom and look at what is said, and if there's a Chinese student there that commits sedition, that's their word, they will prosecute them. In fact, one kid has already been prosecuted because he said something negative about the Chinese, the Chinese government in a classroom here in America. And now they are upping the ante, and they're in, in, expanding on this, and uh, they're going to start enforcing the law. They can't do it on American citizens, but they can on Chinese citizens, of which, as I said, 370,000 students are here now in American classrooms. So that's what this story is about. And again, take a look at it. Check it out. I think you'll like it. You should know about it. Again, thank you so much 
for joining me today. There are a lot of things happening in our world, and each day we check it out and try to give you our best take on what's going on. I'll see you right here tomorrow.